0: You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for October 2010. Today's episode is titled, Casual Christianity. Most professing Christians view Christianity as important to their eternal state. However, relative to this life, they view it as not that important. In other words, they view Christianity as a lifestyle option. You could call this casual Christianity. According to the Webster Online Dictionary, casual means something that is superficial or done without serious intent or commitment. It suggests a lack of devotion or importance. A casual Christian focuses on doing his or her own will, not God's will. And now, Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, The Danger of Casual Christianity. Our topic tonight is The Danger of Casual Christianity. Let me begin with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to study together, to learn together, to grow together. We ask that you would grant us much grace and favor to do this well. Open our hearts and minds to receive from you tonight and use this material to transform us, to mold us and to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's begin tonight by taking a look at a book written by Oz Guinness. It's called The Last Christian on Earth. It's actually a rewrite of a book that he first published back in the early 80s, and he just recently uh, rewrote it and updated the book. And the book is built around a text in Luke 18, 8, which reads, When the Son of Man comes, will you find faith on the earth? Now, the context of this verse is a discussion about uh, prayer and the importance of, of just persistence in prayer, and how even though God's answers may be delayed, he will answer, and he will administer justice. And so even though that reality is true, the question is, will he find faith on earth? Now, as states in his introduction to his book, he thought initially what this was all about was uh, that the Christians would uh, be persecuted to death, and uh, at the end there would be very few left. But the more he studied and looked, he realized that that really wasn't true, that actually Christianity is imploding from within. And the reason it's imploding from within is because we have a very wrong view of Christianity. We have a casual view of Christianity. And what the enemy has done is just taken advantage of that and uh, ju- basically jumped on what's going on. And he's got he's developed a strategy that just flows very well with the culture, and with the trends of our time. And it's just adding, adding basically to what's already going on to increase the damage that's being done to Christianity. Oz basically outlines three key strategies that the enemy is engaged with. Number one is secularization. This is largely driven by atheistic thinking. And secularization has to do with disconnecting everything from God, education, public policy, business, as much as possible, everything gets disconnected from a biblical worldview and what God stands for. A, a kissing cousin to this is driven by the theist. It's called privatization, or it may be you may know it by the term dualism. This has to do with limiting Christ and the relevance of Christ in Christianity to private life and family life. Anything apart from that has really no relevance at all. And finally, the last uh, strategy of the enemy is pluralization. This is driven by political correctness and the, the wrong thinking that all worldviews are acceptable and the peer pressure that goes with accepting all worldviews. As a result of this strategy, which is very effective, what's happened is Christianity has become very ineffective in terms of defining life and shaping the way people live. In fact, uh, Os Guinness goes on to say this. Religion was once life's central mystery. Its worship, life's central awesome experience. Its belief, life's broadcast canopy of meaning, as well as its deepest guarantee of belonging. Yet today, where religion still survives in the modern world, no matter how passionate or committed the believer, it amounts to little more than a private preference, a spare time hobby, and leisure pursuit. So, this is what's driving Christianity today. It is a casual view, a view of Christianity that's not all that important. It's not all that significant. It's not that life changing. It's certainly not life defining. So, the question is why is it that we have such a casual view of Christianity? Where did that come from? Most of you recognize this man right here. It's Billy Graham. Uh, arguably one of the finest Christian uh, preachers, evangelists, teachers of the 20th century. Uh, I grew up watching this man, and I deeply respect this man. He's a man that, that really loves the Lord, and he's lived his life based on Christ. He's truly what I call a holistic Christian. That is, everything in his life is rooted in the Word of God to the best of his ability. I am convinced that that's the kind of man he is and that's the way he lives. And he's brought many, many people to Christ. And these people who come to Christ have been baptized and joined local churches, and they've now begun to participate in these churches, and they're supporters of these churches. But what brand of Christianity do they embrace? Do they embrace a holistic brand of Christianity like Billy Graham? Well, sadly, my experience and my observation has been that they do not. Most of them seem to view Christianity as little more than a get-out-of-hell free card. It's like a life insurance policy for the next life. And when we, we take out a life insurance policy, what do we do with that policy? Well, we stick it in our safe deposit box, or we put it in our home safe, or in some file someplace, and we forget about it. Because it isn't relevant to us today. It's only relevant when death comes. And I think that's where most Christians are today. Christianity to them is not what it is to Billy Graham. It is largely just something that they have to do to guard against being caught without a proper insurance policy when they die. They want to be sure that when they go to meet the Lord that they're covered. And so that's how they view it. So as a consequence, how do they live today? Well, most of them live today according to Frank Sinatra's song I Did It My Way. And that is, we embrace this whole idea of living a life according to our will. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And so that's really the game that we're into. Uh, Sadly, that leads to a state of affairs which I call casual Christianity. Christianity is really not very significant for the large majority of professing Christians in anything in life other than its fire insurance for when they die. Now tonight what I want to do is take that overriding theme of casual Christianity and ask four, four questions here and answer these four questions. Number one, am I really engaged in a war? Now, that may seem like a strange question to you, but in a minute you're going to see it's a very relevant question. Secondly, is Christianity simply insurance against going to hell? The third question is, is it okay to remain spiritually immature? Or another way to say that, is it okay to be a casual Christian? And the fourth question I want to answer tonight is, don't I have the right to live my life as I wish? Isn't that the American dream? to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it? Don't you have rights? Aren't you entitled to live your life the way you please? So we're going to talk about these four questions from a biblical perspective tonight and ask what does the Word of God have to say about the state of Christianity today and about what it is to be a casual Christian? Well first, am I really engaged in a war? For most life is about pleasant experiences. There's little awareness of the true nature of reality. Most of us have bought into the culture, which you could describe as postmodern. A postmodern culture is a culture where people are out for themselves. They're very narcissistic. They are into pleasure and entertainment, and everything in life is about them doing their will. That's all they want to do. They want God to support their agenda. Uh, What I've seen with many, many professing Christians is their relationship with God is one of where God is like a genie in bottle. And they want to do some religious thing, whether it's go to church or participate in expressive worship or, or pray or go to Bible studies or whatever it is that they do that they think will please God, and then God's going to come popping out of the bottle like the genie and grant them whatever they want. So if they've got health issues, God's going to heal them. If they have money issues, God's going to give them money. If they need a job, God's going to give them employment. God's just going to take care of their problems of life, and that's how most of them seem to live. But that's not reality. The reality is that we're in a war. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, you are in a war. It's a very serious war. It's every bit, in fact, it is more serious than the picture of these guys here with these these guns getting ready to go into battle. We have a very, very serious enemy. Let's take a look at a text in Ephesians just to get a picture of this. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 begins the last section of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5 and 6 are pretty much one section. So the the theme of Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 is stated in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where God says to us, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. You see, that's what he expects those that profess Christ as Savior to do, is to be imitators of God. And so now in chapter 5 he goes through a little litany of things, the implications of this reality. What does it mean to imitate God? How do we do that? What does it mean to be a dearly loved child? What does that look like? So he's articulating all this, and he brings us down to chapter 6 and verse 10, and he goes into now the warfare element of this. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, why, do you, why in the world do you need to be strong in the Lord? What's the point of that? Well, the point of that is because you're in a war. If you're not strong in the Lord and his mighty power, you will become a POW real quickly. You will be out of the game. You will not be engaged. In doing what God has called you to do, you will be outside the will of God. So we've got to get very serious about being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So how do we do that? Well, we put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So now we see who our enemy is. It's the devil. For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see there's a whole authority structure that exists both in the tangible and in the intangible world that's in rebellion against God and when you came to Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you came to Christ you joined the army of God. You became one of His foot soldiers and now you've got to get ready for battle. Now think for a moment. Suppose that you literally were to join the army of whatever country you live in. What would be the first thing that they would do with you? Well, the very first thing that would happen would be you would go to boot camp. And you would be assigned somebody to disciple you in the fine art of fighting a war. That disciple would be called a drill instructor. He would be your bosom buddy because he is there To break all of the bad habits that you have in your life that keep you from fighting as a great soldier, as a successful soldier, and surviving the war. And that's a picture for us. Today, Christianity, when somebody comes to Christ, we celebrate it and we should, but then we don't send them to boot camp. We don't give them that training. We don't assign them a drill instructor to break all those bad habits they had before they came to Christ and teach them the new habits of what it is to walk with God. See, so this is where it's breaking down right here. We are in a war, and we're not even prepared to fight the war. And that's why we have casual Christianity. Although this war doesn't sound very casual, does it? It sounds like a very, very serious, serious matter. So we've got to wake up. We've got to realize what reality is. Reality is not what we create it to be. Reality is what God defined it to be. So we've got to look at the Word of God and let the Word of God tell us what reality is, and we've got to begin to line up with the Word of God. The second question is, is Christianity simply insurance against going to hell? Sadly, I see this over and over again. This is pretty much where most people are it's just a get out of hell free card it's a life insurance policy against you know whatever's gonna happen in the next life in fact what I see is most people think that security in this life is money and security in next life is Christ so I need money for this life I need Christ for the next life and that's how they live the problem is they are violating a principle of scripture the scripture says that you cannot worship God and money it's not allowed it's against God's rules and he made the universe and all the rules therefore it isn't going to work and so most of us are living a life that is not going to work and we don't even realize it's not going to work because we bought into this lie this lie that Christianity is just insurance to keep us from going to hell scripture says this that we have been freed from slavery to sin as servants of God in this life so that now we can be servants of God forever. You see, 1 Peter 2.16 says this, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Now you might say, well, gee, that sounds contradictory. Live as a free man, but live as a servant? What's the deal here? Well, the deal is this. Contrary to what most Christians seem to think, when they come to Christ, they are set free, but they're not free now to do their will. They've been set free to do the will of God. This is a very common uh, saying that seems to be going around in Christianity today. When you ask somebody how they're doing, they'll say something like, blessed, healed, and free. And on one level, I'm okay with that. But I like to dig down a little bit deeper and say, what in the world do you mean by that, blessed, healed, and free? If by that you think that you're free to do your will, then what you have done is your worldview is giving you permission to use Christ to cover up your sin. And Christ is not into covering up your sin. He's not into covering up anybody's sin. What Christ is all about is setting you free from sin. So you can live as a servant of God. So Christianity is very relevant for today, for how I live every day. It's not just about the future. It is about the future, but it's far more than the future. It is about today. And so we've got to begin to gain a real biblical worldview of what Christianity is. If we don't gain a biblical view of holistic Christian living, where Christ shapes every decision, every thought, every action in our life, like Billy Graham lives, if we don't get that, then we will give way to casual Christianity, and Christianity will not have any meaning to us now. It will only mean something when we die, and then we will try to find something to fill the void now, which will probably be money, and then we will violate a principle of the universe, because we'll try to worship God and money and think that's okay. By the way, in Revelation 3, the Laodicean church tried to do that. And Christ, in his epistle to them, called them lukewarm, which indicates that one of the signs of a culture that's trying to worship God and money is they become lukewarm. So take a look around your Christian community and just see how lukewarm it is. That's the measure to which, or at least a good measure, how much there, there's worshiping God and money going on in your culture, and therefore casual Christianity has a grip on your Christian community. Is it okay to remain spiritually immature? For most, remaining spiritually immature is okay, but not according to Scripture. Now let me just say this. this one of the sad things that I see, not only in the place where I live, but in the communities where I travel, and I get to go into different churches and meet different Christian communities, I see the same problem wherever I go. It doesn't matter where I go. It's the same issue. There's, there is a tacit implication that it's okay to not grow in Christ. You can come to church with us. You can be part of us, and you don't have to grow up. That's just optional. That's, what, that's an unspoken message that people get. When you start asking people that are fairly young in the Lord, if they really get it, they've got to go to boot camp? Do they really get it, they've got to be trained? Do they really get it, they need to be submitted to somebody to disciple them? Do they really get it, they've got to be transformed and grow up in Christ? I think most of them, if they were brutally honest, would say, no they didn't get that. They didn't understand that at all. Well let's just look at what Scripture has to say. Let's look at the text first from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You see, Peter is writing to young, immature believers, and he's telling them you need to have a craving for spiritual milk so you can grow up. You see, that's why babies need milk is so they can grow up. That's the point of feeding a baby is they would grow up. You know, if a baby, physical baby, literal baby doesn't grow, they're probably going to die because that's God's system. God's system is they grow up. And it's the same way spiritually. When you come to Christ, if you don't begin to grow up, you're probably going to dry up and die. Now look at a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul writing this time. He's writing to people that he has uh, personally uh, evangelized, and they've accepted Christ, and he's writing a letter back to them because he sees the same problem that Peter did, only they're a little more mature. Okay, They've already started feeding on the milk, but they don't get off the milk. He says this, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk not solid food for you were not yet ready for it indeed you are still not ready which means that this book of first Corinthians like first Peter is spiritual baby food, it's spiritual milk so if you want to know what to teach young believers go to these books that specifically indicate their spiritual milk these are good books to begin to work with them on he goes on to say you are still worldly that is you still have bad habits you do not know how to engage the enemy and fight the battles. You do not know how to grow up and mature in Christ. Therefore, you don't know how to live according to the will of God. See, that's that's what happens to babies. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to move forward and grow up. And so that's why they need parents. That's why they need milk and eventually baby food and then eventually meat so they grow up. Now, here's another text in Hebrews 5. Which, which is talking about you know, even more advanced people and how they are still not growing up like they should. The writer to Hebrews says this, we have much to say about this. He's referring to the whole Melchizedek priesthood and how Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is more advanced teaching. You see, as you grow up, you get more advanced teaching about Christ. You know more about him. And as you know more about him, you have more insight into the will and the ways of God. This is what maturing is all about. The writer goes on to say, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You see, the goal here is for us to grow up so we can begin to disciple others, so we can begin to train others it's not just to gain knowledge, it's so you can reproduce yourself. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You guys have stunted growth. You started growing and then you stopped. You need milk not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. When you don't know the teaching of righteousness you don't know the will and ways of God. And so if you don't know the wills and ways of God because he is righteous, then you're going to wind up defaulting to worldly ways. The writer goes on to say, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you realize you can't distinguish good from evil if you don't you you're know, trained? Most of us think we could do that. I I know good from evil. I can tell. No, you can't. You can't tell unless you're trained. And you're not going to be trained unless you grow up in Christ and begin to eat meat and eventually become teachers of others. So is it okay to remain spiritually immature? I, I think if Paul and Peter and the writer to the Hebrews were here, they would say absolutely not. Casual Christians do not mature. It's not okay to remain immature. If they really are Christians, they remain spiritual babies, and that's not acceptable. I think you can see the scriptures are clear. We must grow up. And there's a lot of other texts that we could point to. Let me just give you a couple of them that I haven't cited here. Uh, one of them is where Paul in Colossians 1, verses 27 and 28 He's talking about what really drives him, what's really the the motive behind his life. And he's talking about how he wants to make known to the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery of Christ, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete, mature in Christ. You see, Paul fought for the maturity of those that he, he, he witnessed to and he brought to Christ. That is the biblical perspective. It is not okay to remain spiritually mature. If you seem to give that message, either verbally or nonverbally, in your Christian community, you are promoting casual Christianity. Now the last question is, don't I have the right to live my life as a wish? For most living life, their way is a virtue. They want to sing the song like Francis Sinatra sings, I Did It My Way. In fact, somebody recently was talking about how they had heard this song sung at funerals, as if it was such a great tribute to this person that he lived his life his way. That, like, That's a great virtue, a great value today is live your life your way. Can I suggest to you that is far, far from Christian thinking. We are not here to do our will. That is not the agenda. Jesus Christ was not here to do his will. We are here to do one thing, and that is the will of God. Look at this text in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Wow. Living for the will of God. Now, see, that's what Christianity is all about. Well, how do you get there? How do you get to where you live like that? Well, he gives you some clues here. The first thing he tells you to do is to arm yourselves notice that military term, when you arm yourselves you're getting ready for battle, you're getting trained, you're going through boot camp. Most of us have never even been through boot camp and it doesn't matter how long you have been going to church, how long you think you've been a Christian, if you haven't been trained then you're not prepared for the battle. So one of the first things you want to do, and remember this is milk here, 1st Peter is milk, So this is basic stuff here. This would be right out of the field manual of basic training. Arm yourselves with the same attitude that Christ had. So what is this attitude that Christ has? What's this worldview that he has? Well, we get some clues of it, for example, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm just going to read what I've underlined here. It says of Christ, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, what Christ did, when he put off his divine nature in some way that we don't fully understand, we can't fully comprehend this, but here is God putting off his divine nature in some way, and taking on flesh, human flesh, that required incredible humility and submission to the will of the Father. But it doesn't stop there. He goes beyond that, and now he actually suffers, submits to death. You see, he was not under a curse of death. Christ would never have died. He is the only person in the flesh since Adam and Eve that did not deserve death and was therefore not under a curse of death. What he had to do was voluntarily submit to death. And so when he did that, he showed the ultimate submission, Ultimate humility to even to do the thing that he he should arguably never have had to do, and that is to die. Well, this is a person that's totally submitted to the will of God. He, He makes no claims on his rights. Now you and I, we're all into our rights. You know what we're entitled to and what's fair and what's you know what's what we think should be done for us. Christ was not into any of that. His only agenda was to do the will of the Father. And you see that in John 5, 19, when he says this, I tell you the truth, the Son, which which is a reference to himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus was the consummate disciple. He imitated the Father completely. With perfection, he did nothing outside the will of the Father. Everything was lined up with the will of the Father. It was never his will. It was always the will of the Father. That's the attitude we need. That's our worldview. We need to recognize that God's in charge of his universe. He's put us here for a specific assignment. We need to do that assignment in total obedience to his will. Let's go on to the next part of the verse. I've got it underlined here. He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, let me just suggest that what he's alluding to here is the principle of transformation. Transformation is about the victory over the power of sin in our life. Now, you see I've got in brackets here the term second tense of salvation. Well, there are three tenses of salvation given to us in Scripture. There is the past tense of salvation, which is the deliverance from the penalty of sin. There's the present tense of salvation, which is the deliverance from the power of sin in this life. And there's the future tense of salvation, which is the deliverance from the very presence of sin. So past is penalty, present is power, future is presence. So... These are the tenses that you see in Scripture. And in this particular text, I think he's referring to the second tense of salvation, that suffering in this body is what has to happen for us to gain victory over sin. That is the power of sin in our life. Now let me just show you some examples of this in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 15:31, the Apostle Paul says this, I die daily. Now wait a minute, Paul. Why do you need to die daily? Well, he needs to die daily because when he came to Christ, just like every one of us, you know, he was saved from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is still at work in this world that we live in, and we still have a lot of bad habits, sinful habits that we haven't, you know, broken yet. So we've got to be engaged in our boot camp training to get rid of these bad habits so that we can begin to live a life of obedience to God look what he says in 1st Corinthians verse 9 1 Corinthians 9 verse 26 and 27 therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly I do not fight like a man beating the air no I beat my body and make it my slave so that, that after I've preached to others I myself will not be disqualified from the prize you see he held himself up to a high standard of integrity of living out the reality of his message and that's what we're all called to do well if we're going to live out the reality of the message of Jesus Christ we've got to bring our flesh under submission to the will of God so this is discipline this is training this is this is hard work of bringing the flesh under control and being being aware of the of the schemes of the enemy through the culture and through other other means that he might attack us. Well, Paul was very tuned in to his propensity to give in to the power of sin, so he's on guard, fighting the battle against sin in his own life. And finally, Second Corinthians ten five again, this is all baby food. He again reinforces this: we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, Paul never, never assumed that he had the right to live life as he wished. That was never on his radar screen. He always, like Christ, viewed that it was not his will, but it was God's will that he must do. And the final phrase here in this verse, as a result of arming ourselves with the worldview of Christ, and becoming disciplined about fighting the power of sin in our life the result is he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires but rather for the will of God you see that's the only reason to live that's the only reason to get up in the mornings to do the will of God that's the only reason to go to work that's the only reason to go to church that's the only reason to govern ourselves and to be educated and, and to, to go out and, and be part of our community. And whatever it is that you do, there's only one reason to do it, and that's to do the will of God. And so the principle of transformation is evidenced by people who are living for the will of God both generally and specifically. See, there's both a general will of God and a specific will of God. For example, the general will of God is the same for all of us. And that is that we would live incarnating the nature of Christ, that is, live according to a biblical worldview. And you can see that Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, he made it very clear what he was after. He was after Christ being formed in them. That was his agenda. I want to see Christ formed in you, incarnated in you, so you live and breathe and think and act like Jesus Christ in accordance with a biblical worldview that is the general will of God for everyone that accepts Jesus Christ it does not matter who you are where you are what your circumstances are every person that professes Christ is called is called to take on a biblical worldview to have Christ formed in us then we have the specific will of God the specific will of God now is the specific plan and purpose of God for each one of us. We each have a specific plan. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is very personal and individual. And the way we know that is in Ephesians two eight and 9, which is one of the most famous texts about salvation, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. That's a very personal promise. Salvation is individual and personal. And then verse 10, the very next verse, for this is the reason why you were saved is to do the will of God, the specific will that he created you to do. And so we have both a general will of God and a specific will of God that we're mandated to obey. This is how Christians are called to live. This is not casual Christianity. This is holistic, committed, dedicated Christianity. This is real Christianity. I want to submit to you that casual Christianity is an oxymoron. It doesn't really exist. It's a contradiction. Because a true Christian lives this way. A casual Christian has no assurance that they're really even saved. And how do we know that? Because it's by your fruits that you're known. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you know the reality of anything is the fruit. So if you look at someone and they don't look like Christ, they don't act like Christ, they don't talk like Christ, they're probably not a Christian no matter what they say. And so that's the high standard. Christ being incarnated in us, being formed in us, is what Christianity is all about. Now, we have a wonderful tool to help us on our journey, specifically relative to the specific will of God. Now, the general will of God, the way you're going to learn that, learn a biblical worldview, is you get under someone to disciple you. You need a drill instructor to take you through boot camp and train you in the ways of God. And then to find the specific assignment that you have, the specific place that you occupy in the kingdom, you need help there. And there's a wonderful tool called C4. It's a biblical tool for helping you discern what God has called you to do. And that's a tool that, that we talk about at length in the Strategic Life Alignment Seminar. But I just want to show you the connection of that tool that's the core of that seminar and this teaching here. On what it is to truly be a Christian. The danger of casual Christianity is deception. Life is not about your will. It's not about my will. It's not about anybody's will except God's will. His will is the only will that counts and if you truly know Christ you will not stop until you learn how to discern the will of God. And just because you have been baptized and you go to church doesn't mean you know how to do it i would submit to you most likely if you're typical of most christians that i meet you've never been trained you need to get trained if you really believe that christianity is holistic like billy graham did where it defines everything in life there's nothing you can separate from christ because he is the creator the origin the purpose the sustainer of everything in the universe which is what colossians tells us Then. You've got to get very committed to learning how to discern the will of God and the ways of God. So generally, you've got to submit to a discipleship process that will help Christ get formed in you. Specifically, you've got to engage in finding and fulfilling your life purpose. Those are the things you must do. So if you don't have a discipling relationship right now, ask the Lord to show you who's supposed to disciple you and get submitted to them. Get underneath them. There's protection and guidance and direction for you in submitted godly relationships. And secondly, find your life purpose. And a great tool for that is attend the Strategic Life Alignment Seminar, and it will teach you the C4 principle and help you discover the purpose of God for your life. Well, let me pray. Well, Father, we thank you for this time. We just speak a blessing over each person. Just thank you for the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, would you grant each of us a new level of commitment, a new level of discernment, a new level of faithfulness and perseverance to press in and to grow up in Christ and be the people you called us to be and do the things you've called us to do. So grant us that grace, Father, we commit ourselves to you and to the journey of doing only your will in Jesus' name.